I'm Sangram Vajra. And I'm Brian Brown, co-authors of Move, the four-question go-to-market framework. Helping you confidently take your organization's next move. While writing the Move book, I realized very quickly that there was a big question that I didn't have the answer to. It's a question that defines how we think about go-to-market strategies. But the interesting thing is that almost everyone had a different answer to this super important question. And the question is, who owns go-to-market? And in this episode, we are talking to the man who answered the question confidently like this. So who owns go-to-market? Marketing. Why? Because it's about the experience. Kyle Lacey is the SVP of marketing at Seismic, which recently acquired his previous company, Lessonly. A conversation with Kyle is a marketing masterclass. Not only does he have an amazing mind for brand marketing and creating experiences for customers, but he also has a C-suite view of the marketing function within a go-to-market framework. So let's dive in into my conversation with Kyle to learn exactly why he feels so sure that marketing owns go-to-market. You have something that is very, very contradictory to a lot of different folks, like you've done that before and several times, is like having sales teams report into or BDR team report into CMO. And I've heard conversations both sides. Talk to me about that. Do you support that? What lessons you've learned from it? Yeah, so we move the BDRs, so inbound BDRs, outbound, something called field sales, yeah. whatever. There's 500 different titles for it. We moved them under marketing in 2018 at Lessonly. A lot of that had to do with revenue ownership. So when we report in as business units, a lot of times we talk about direct source revenue, like who sourced the revenue. Yeah. And it's very important to me as a marketer that we are influencing the sourcing of the revenue, not the influence of the revenue. Very different, right? Okay, double double click on yeah. that. So marketing should influence 100% right. of pipeline and right. like, drop You the can website. measure it if you want. I'm being very broad, but I yeah. think it changes in the enterprise. But you need to source revenue. You need to source pipeline. You can talk about attribution and influence, but really you need to source revenue in order to have a seat at the board table, mm. in my opinion. So part of moving them over was we wanted more ownership over revenue sourcing. And the other one was alignment. So when you aren't sourcing the revenue and you're influencing it, you have more issues around definitions of marketing qualified lead or Mm -hmm. sales reps saying that's stupid or the VP of sales is like, I don't care about a marketing qualified lead. And then marketing saying, well, sales never works the leads we send them and all that stuff. And so we forced alignment by moving the BDRs under marketing and it worked because the feedback loops were so quick. I was getting feedback from what messaging was working daily, not because of random meetings that we were having. Or because of that one salesperson who said, oh, you know what, that works. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, the one, which everybody complains, but you know, the AE that's like, that didn't work. But we were getting, you know, we had 25 BDRs that were working daily on messaging and it really helped us think through messaging. The one thing I would add is as you move up market, some of that changes. Like if Mm -hmm. pipeline is more important, and you're talking about career pathing, and as the company gets bigger, there's a point in time where marketing needs to say, all right, does this still work here, Mm. or do we need to move it back, or is there a revenue org we need to talk about or whatever? So I think it depends on the size. Let's talk about RevOps. What's your understanding of RevOps? Where do you see it play? The number one challenge in scaling an org in general is alignment. I think you would agree with that. From 30 employees all the way up to 1,000, alignment's imperative. 
What I have found is that a RevOps team is the hub of all that, right? You have the data being managed as well as the direction being managed out of one team with inputs from sales, customer success, enablement, marketing, anybody that owns revenue. And I would even say that we probably should have hired RevOps or at least a portion of operations earlier at Lessonly than we did. I mean, we had Salesforce admins, but not the high level thinking of a RevOps leader, right? And I don't know how you scale a company without revenue ops owning the number and helping the different leaders own their number. Yeah, I'd like to call that as like the book, remember, Who Moved My Cheese? Yeah. It's almost like that yeah. conversation is Absolutely. like, hey, sales saying, hey, we had this number marketing sale, nobody updated yes. the spreadsheet, and then they're like 20 conversations, and then RevOps is like, hey, like, stop, here's the cheese, here's how yeah. much it means, how does that work? It is fundamental to be able to drive growth. For us, there's two things that Revenue Ops runs, three things. We have a funnel and pipeline meeting that meets every week by segment where business unit owners are coming in and saying, this is our number, here's our called shot for next week. And then RevOps saying, okay, okay, and not that's BS, that's BS, right? And then we have a revenue handbook that's basically a service level agreement between all revenue leaders on definitions, sales cycles, everything. And that's managed by RevOps. And then we have a weather report that's a weekly email that's sent out by RevOps that has known losses, known wins, revenue numbers, the forecast. You don't need to have 50 meetings a week. Like you yeah. just need those three things and your team's going to run pretty smooth no matter if you're hiring 20 reps a week or 100 a month. I don't know how I would do my job without RevOps, honestly. So I'm curious, when you said revenue teams, who is on your revenue team? Anyone that's contributing to sourcing revenue, right? So you have customer success, marketing, sales, and then we do it by segment. We have a commercial segment and an enterprise segment okay. and services. And services is part of customer success? Uh, yeah. Talk to me about the idea of TAM and TRM. Surprisingly, I actually learned this at OpenView, which is yeah. a venture capital firm, which you would think the biggest total addressable market possible is what gets you money, right? Yeah. What I learned at OpenView and what Scott Maxwell, the founder of OpenView, told our founders at Lessonly was the most important thing you can do is focus. So I think a lot of times people talk about product market fit. Mm. We don't really understand what that means other than repeatability of revenue. But getting past product market fit to use case and to persona and who actually is the product relevant for, which you talked about, is TRM, right? Mm -hmm. A relevant market is very different, in my opinion, than product market fit. How so? I mean, I think you can find product market fit with a range of people. So for example, Leslie, we had HR customers, we have sales customers, we have customer service, we have product marketing that mm -hmm. can buy our product. We decided two or three years ago to focus on sales and customer service teams. Mm -hmm. The reason why is because top of funnel can focus on the entire total addressable market, but who can't? I'll ask you that question. Yeah. Who can't focus on the entire total addressable market? As a company? Yeah. What team within the company? Oh, marketing. Well, marketing can. Well, sales can. Sales can't and yeah. product roadmap Oh, can. totally can. Product so can totally can. what I saw at OpenView as well as Lessonly is that if you try to boil the ocean, you're going to grow quickly, but it's going to break because your product roadmap can't keep up with the total addressable market, not the total relevant market. Interesting. So would you say that is kind of pushed through with retention? As yeah, being at absolutely. the heels of it? 
Yeah, because we're talking about software companies, net dollar retention is key after a certain revenue point. And if you don't have the healthy net dollar retention numbers, then it's not going to grow as quickly as you need it to grow. That's why that is important. And that's why focus is great anyway, because then you can do just campaigns to a specific use case and not everyone. How do you bring that conversation up level? Because I'm pretty sure everybody, you you always have organizations say, hey, we should go after all this. This is a bigger market. Like it's a $5 billion market. How did you guys go about bringing the focus conversation and making that decision of just a couple of verticals? First, we looked at the numbers, the retention numbers, and learned that sales and customer service teams by far were the better of all of the metrics we were looking at. So when you have broad data, it helps. Yeah. It also helps that the board was for it and they approved of that. And then you just have to understand what's the impact going to be to some of our use cases that might not fit what a future product roadmap looks like. And if you can manage all that and the numbers make sense, then emotion is sidebar to, hey, this is how we're going to grow the rate we want to grow. Talk to me also about the cohorts. I think where this is all going is, and as companies mature from problem market fit, which is yeah. they're looking after any and everything, that's really the TAM, to the yeah. product market fit or TRM in this case, where you're going after relevancy. And now you're going after like, look, we want platform market fit. We want a set of companies to buy more from us, stay longer with us. The customer cohorts, the idea of focusing on the right customers and knowing who these customers are really becomes important. Are there any campaigns that you guys are running to like really dive deep into it? Our most important campaign over the past year has been our customer community. So it's called Lamination. The of Lama. course. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Ali Lama is like our mascot and yeah. everything's Lama iced. Yeah. It's a mobile app that allows our customers to get on and play games and talk to each other. They can earn llama bucks to buy Ali Lama Lama and Co. Ali Lama and Co. gear. (laughs) And that's where we learn the most about cohorts for us. They will get together in different meetings and webinars, our customer advisory boards in that community. We also look at just a waterfall of cohort in terms of just retention rates and stuff like that. But that's sidebar to us really understanding the use case. So we're going to get into go-to-market now. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. So when I say go-to-market, what comes to your mind? <laughs> when you say go-to-market, tip of the spear, I think go-to-market is an understanding of what channels work, what segments work, and optimizing around those strategies. Who do you look up to? The brands that I look up to from a go-to-market, even marketing, is anybody that's simplified the process. The process of buying, the process of researching. I'll just give you my favorite one. I have two, which is Shopify and MailChimp, which now are going head to head with MailChimp announced their shops or Mm. they're basically their frontline e-commerce stores. And they just make everything so easy. And Shopify, it's hilarious to me that a B2B brand is leading me down a positive experience with a consumer brand. Because when I hit a Shopify checkout, I almost feel better than if I hit any other checkout, no matter what the brand is, because it's so simple Mm. and so easy, right? And the way that Shopify approaches their brand and their product is seamless. I think a lot of times companies, at least from a go-to-market perspective, the product seems great and the brand seems great. And then you get into it and it's like, It's a little off, but Shopify, they have figured out how marketing can keep up with the roadmap and vice versa in a way that I don't think a lot of companies have done. 
This brings back to the go-to-market question. Yeah. So in this research, we've been hearing a lot of people think go-to-market could be sales-led. The other no. one could be product-led, great product and, and do it. Customer-led, category-led. How do you see go-to-market? I have a hard time putting any type of go-to-market motion in a box. Product-led, in my opinion, makes the most sense. If you made a product easy to use that then upsells itself because you're building features that people want, that makes the most sense to me. Now, whether product-led and growth should live in marketing or product, I think it's a completely different discussion. I think it should live in marketing. Mm -hmm. I think most go-to-market strategies to live in marketing, if you have a team that understands the powerful combination of revenue and a positive experience. Sales tends to be more science-oriented, which mm -hmm. is fine, but they forget this idea that People. the experience matters. And marketers forget sometimes that science is important as well. So if I were to pick one, it would be product-led. Mm. I do believe that product-led, I think, overlaps with customer-led, and it's the future of software, in yeah. my opinion, if you build it correctly. So who owns go-to-market? Marketing. Why? Because it's about the experience. I think you could argue that a great product manager could lead a growth team, but you can build an amazing product if nobody hears about it. You know, it's very rare that you come across companies where the product is so good that it just grew yeah. virally. And that's great. And I'm glad for the people who have. It's not reality, though. It's not realistic. If you start with the product and then if you build it for the people, your relevant market, and then you help them share the story... I mean, Morning Brew is a great example. Oh, man, I love that. Love that. Morning Brew is a great example. I remember early on, I would share that all the time. Yeah. Number one, because I wanted like the cup or whatever, <laughs> whatever they sent you. Number two is because it was just a great product. Yeah. But they built the viral component into the product. Yeah. It was really easy to share. So you have to have a great product. But I, I don't think things grow without a great experience, a great brand, and a great marketer. What was interesting about them was they also focused on that one channel for email. Every day, great content, yeah. you get it. I think they hit about 3 million by 2018, by only one type of email newsletter. And now, in a way, from a book standpoint, I would say they're platform market fit because now they have a retail Absolutely. marketing, Absolutely. tech. And they moved to say, but each one of those are focused on the relevant. Yeah. They're segmented now, yeah. which is great. And that's the direction that a lot of companies go. It's very rare that you run across the MailChimps and the Calendly's of the world that just built a great product, right? And MailChimp yeah. was simple. They never tried to boil the ocean. They had a use case and they stuck to the use case and they made a great experience. And that's why product-led, in my opinion, we could wax poetic about category creation yeah. all day long, but the reality is it's all customer-led or product-led. Alignment, another word for trust, great trust within the teams. Yep. I use the word trust more than alignment. When you know it's broken? You know alignment's broken when you're sitting in a meeting and sales and marketing are arguing over which pipeline number is correct. Then you're screwed. And then you're fired. And then you're fired. <laughs> it really is numbers. It's very much numbers-based. Because if you have alignment, there isn't a question. You're just trying to solve problems. So what is a modern CMO, when they think about go-to-market, what should they be thinking about? If you were advising right now, like, all right, there's a whole bunch of people watching this saying, maybe their CEOs watching this and saying, hey, I have my CMOs, right? What should CEOs think about and talk about to their CMOs? A modern CMO understands that revenue creation, whether it's closed one or it's pipeline, is paramount to a company growing 
And then secondarily, the CEO needs to believe in brand. So a marketer needs to understand the fact that they can't hide behind an influence number. And a CEO needs to be okay with the fact that sometimes you can't measure brand. Yeah. And I think that is modern go-to-market because product-led or whatever, you're going to be in feature wars for the rest of your life. Yeah. Like we roll out a feature, our competitor builds one in three months. I don't care what you sell. Features are secondary to owning a market, which I think is very much the story. Yeah, I always think about that whenever if you and your competitor website start looking the same, you got problems, right? Like, Well, it was a Ben Horowitz that said the company's story is the company's strategy. Yeah. That's so true. And if your reps are selling on a feature set, you are not going to win the market. Your reps, what's their pitch? How did they talk about it? We approached it with our mission statement, which is we help people do better work so they can live better lives. So our go-to-market was do better work for a long time. And we talked about the idea of do better work and the movement and the product and how you need to operationalize training, but also make it relational so you're not just growing cogs, that you have human beings that are growing and have lives outside of work. And that worked for us because we lived in so many different categories. Sales coaching, training, learning and development, corporate LMS. So you could go broader on the message. We went broad, right? Yeah. And eventually we had to come back and start getting focused as we moved up market because brand's important, mm-hmm. but business impact is also important, yep. right? So that's what I'm saying. The modern CMO, you have to understand the business impact that you're making internally, the business impact that the product's making within the customer base. And then you've got to understand a story that's not boring as hell. So what's your next move? Here's one. Go to themovebook.com to check out the assessment, the templates, the frameworks, and a whole list of resources to help you figure out your next move. The link is in the show notes. Check it out.